If you've got your coffee, grab a seat. If you don't have your coffee, grab a seat. Welcome again. Well, I've always had this uh, sort of this knack for trivia. I don't, you, you probably, yeah, some of you do all right, but you probably don't want to play Trivial Pursuit with me. Uh, I just, I don't know, my family laughs at it. I can be, they can ask me some question and I think I don't know anything about it and I always get it right and it's just, it's, it's weird and if that sounds like bragging, don't worry about it because it's really uh, just this thing where the more insignificant something is, the more likely I am to remember it and it comes... Yeah, it comes with the flip side. <laughs> the more important it is, the more likely I am to space on it. And so, not a, not a great thing. Anyway, you could check that out with my family, but I wish you wouldn't. And because uh, anyway, but I've always I've always been like that. I I just have kind of had this forgetfulness thing going. I remember as a kid uh, being in uh, in our family room, just like. 10 feet from the driveway and my bicycle and thinking, okay, what am I going to do today, summer day? I need a plan. What, am I, you know, what do I want to do? And I think, okay, I'm going to go to the store and I make this plan and I walk seriously 10 steps, get on my bike, and I'm like, wait, what am I doing? It's just, it's always been like that. Not every moment of every day, hopefully, but uh, so- something like that. But, but I come by it honestly. My father was a university professor, but he was sometimes called the absent-minded professor. And, uh, and then my grandfather, who I never knew, he died before I was born, but uh, I know him primarily for one story, and uh, that was one day as he was walking down the road outside his apple orchard in the Yakima Valley, some friends saw him and said, Mr. Pruitt, what are you doing? And he said, I'm taking the cow to pasture, and over his shoulder was an empty rope. So anyway, that's what I know of my grandfather, and I'm carrying on the tradition, and I'm really sorry, Chris, my son, uh, if you're listening, um, that's in your future. <laughs> now, when you, uh, you know, when you forget the plan, life gets confusing. And when you forget and you lose track of what God is up to and His plans, we run into all kinds of problems. We find when we uh, lose touch with what God has said He is going to do that uh, we face circumstances in life and they're really confusing to us and we can't interpret them. Or we uh, have lost track of what God has said He's going to do and then we're praying and prayer feels really complicated or God feels like He's being silent to us. Sometimes we can feel like He doesn't care about the things that are happening to us, or even we get into that dangerous place where we begin to question His character. Today, we, uh, we come to a passage that describes, uh, with quite a bit of detail, God's plan. I'd like to read it for us. Uh, it's Luke 17, beginning in verse 20, and we go all the way to the end of the chapter today. Get a big text, so hope you filled up on coffee. Let me just read through this so we can kind of get a scope of it, and uh, then we'll kind of pick it apart. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. And then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days 
of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is, do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? The disciples asked. And he replied, Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. So I have to tell you that uh, this is a, a pretty complicated passage. Jesus is asked, When is the kingdom coming? And uh, when I got this assignment and this text, I was like, Wow, really? You got. You got floods and judgments and sulfur and vultures and Jesus says this and the Pharisees are asking this and it's long. Notice this is a long passage. And I was actually, I have to tell you, I was fairly intimidated. Like, ah, do I have to do this? Ken, would you take this one? But anyway, here we are. And, And until about eight days ago, and I started to just... Well, I created a chart. So you notice in your notes today, everything's sideways because we had to have a chart for me to feel comfortable with this. But we get, a, we get a lot of information from Jesus about God's plans. And, and I think as we, hopefully as we pick this apart here, we'll, we'll clarify what God is up to. We will, uh, this will help us understand the, the times in which we live. It's so important that we know what God is doing and why He's doing it. It gives us insight into why God doesn't always fix problems around us or, or in our lives. And hopefully that strengthens our faith and fills us with hope as well. So I got lofty goals today, just a few of those things. We're hope, hopefully after them. Now, Jesus is asked, when is the kingdom coming? And he has an answer that actually we have heard before in the book of Luke and in the Gospels. He says the kingdom is already here. He has actually been saying this from really the first day he set out into his ministry years. And we, we see that the Pharisees had asked, when's it coming? And Jesus says, well, it's, it's not something that can be observed. And people aren't going to be able to say, well, it's, it's over here. You see, you have to go over here, and that's where the kingdom is. It's not like that, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, this is a good question. The Pharisees, uh, we've seen them ask some kind of dumb questions before, but this is actually a pretty good question. Now, some things that Jesus teaches are just really easy to listen to. In other words, any time, any culture, anywhere, it's kind of like, I get that. 
So Jesus says, I want you to love others, and I want the the love you have for others to be so broad that it would be inclusive of your enemies. Love your enemies. That's the kind of love I want you to have. I don't care where you live, what age you live in. It's like, wow, that's hard. I get it. That, That makes sense to me, right? But then there are other passages, and I think this is one of them, where we really have to take We have to travel back. You've got to be in the crowd when the Pharisees are asking this question. Understand at this point, we're a part of a culture in that that moment that feels dominated militarily and politically and economically, and that you believe that you're you're a group of people who have received divine promises, fantastic promises from God Himself, and that there is one person in particular who will be your king, and he will be the key to opening up the realization of all of these great kingdom promises. And the person standing in front of you claims to be that king. That's the context. That's the ears we need to hear this with. Now, the Pharisees ask the question, And at this point in Luke, we're all the way to chapter 17. We're we're really actually coming to the close. A lot of seven chapters left, but we're really winding down chronologically speaking. And, And they probably don't have a sincere question left in them. They're probably scoffing at him. Many scholars believe they're just scoffing like, hey, we'd like to see what you answered this. Like, you won't have a good answer to it. But even if they're scoffing, here's the point. They, they would like to know the answer to the question. They just won't, don't believe that Jesus has the answer. But this is a question everyone in this crowd wants to know. When is the kingdom of God coming? Jesus says, well, you can't observe it. You can't say it's, it's over there. There's two reasons for that. We'll look at one of them right now. Now, let's, let's take uh, the idea of a kingdom for a moment, and let's just say that it could have, uh, we could describe it as having both internal and external qualities. So a a kingdom, any kingdom in the world, has a a geography. You know, you could look at a map and say, there it is. It has a a style of government, or it has a a ruler, right? A monarch that's in uh, in charge of that, and, and it has certain events or holidays or traditions and those kinds of things. And it has internal qualities. It has the beliefs and values, especially in the ancient world, not so much today, but in the ancient world, a kingdom held the beliefs and values of its king, right? An absolute monarch. And the, those attitudes would become infused in its culture and begin to shape it in many, many different ways. So there were internal qualities and external qualities, right? Now, we could do that today with, you know, the United Kingdom. We could look at a map and we'd say, hey, there it is. You can get your passport. You can go there and say, there it is. We're going to land. There we are in England. But you could look at other things, and I apologize if you're English, but, you know, this is what we think of you. You know, it's like they've, they've got those internal qualities. Everything's proper, right? You know, a proper sandwich or a proper cup of tea or whatever it is. I don't know. It's silly, but you get that idea. Now, the Pharisees, the Pharisees believe that they have already mastered the internals of the kingdom of God. They believe they're righteous, Now, for chapters, we've been seeing Jesus say, no, you're not. And they're like, yes, we are. And they believe they're righteous. And therefore, through their righteousness, they will have the keenest eyes to observe the coming of the kingdom. And Jesus tells them, you won't even see it. In the condition you're in right now, you won't even sniff it, right? Because here's God's plan. 
For, for the kingdom of God, the internals come first. This is God's priority. In John 3, Jesus told someone, I, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Unless they grab hold of a heart of faith and, and trust for me, Jesus says, and, the, and, and begin to, to work your life around my truths and learn to live in my kingdom in, in its internal values in, inside your life, the values of your new king, then one day you'll be equipped and ready to enjoy the externals of the kingdom that come later. But it always starts inside. The, God set the rules. I didn't make it up. That's what he said. It starts inside first. It has to be that way. So you can't say, well, it's over there because it starts inside. Now, Jesus says here it's, it's uh, in your midst. And scholars have interpreted this uh, phrase in a few different ways. One of them, uh, and, and actually um, your, your different Bible versions will have different phrases here to reflect this. One would be that it's in your heart, it's internal, like we just looked at with John 3. So Jesus is saying, well, the kingdom of God is an inside kind of thing, so you can't say that. And that's one possibility. We've seen Jesus teach that concept. Another is that it's, it's among you. In other words, he's saying, I'm here. Uh, I'm the king, and so wherever the king is, the kingdom exists, and so I'm in your midst, he would be saying. And we've kind of seen that concept before as well. However, when you look at the grammar of the sentence, probably the best reading is to think of it more along the lines of him saying, it's, it's before you, or it's at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand, or it's within the reach of your hand, meaning you have a responsibility to grab it, right? It's right before you. It's within, the kingdom of God is within your reach, Right? So God has done his part. Jesus has done his part. He's gone around and said, would you like the kingdom of God? It starts with the internals. Would you like to embrace who I am and what I value and what I love? Would you love what I love? Right? Would you grab hold of that by faith? And there's the amazing thing about Jesus. Here are these guys who very shortly will be plotting his death, and they're resisting him, and they're mocking him. And even this is an offer. This is an altar call. The kingdom, you want to know when it's coming? Well, it's, it, it's within your reach, Pharisees, but you're going to have to go inside first. You're going to have to respond to me as king. Romans 14 says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy. And this is what Jesus offers and brings. And, he, and, and from that day, even to, to today, he's offering these internals of the kingdom to people around the world. They're accessible now. So the kingdom is now. That's when the kingdom is coming. It's coming today. But for those who stand outside of that choice, Jesus doesn't really have any more to say. He's like, this is what you need to know because this comes first. I really don't want to tell you any more about the coming of the kingdom because you can't skip this step. You can't skip this step. So that's his answer to the Pharisees. But there is more. And the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is coming it's a complex situation. And so he turns to the disciples. He's answered the, the Pharisees for what they need, but 
the, but the disciples have embraced him as king, and so he would like them to know a little more. He believes it's essential that they and, and that we would know the outline of God's plan. Those who reject him as king can't understand it. They, they, how can you possibly reject a, a, a plan, right, that requires someone to die for you when you're already righteous, right? It's not a plan you need. It's not a plan you're going to embrace. But Jesus wants the disciples to get that. Now, so here's where we get into the chart. I hope this helps some of you. Some of you love a chart, whether it's helpful or not, so that'll be a good day. So here's the timeline. I, I got nowhere until I started doing this. So here we are. This is when Jesus is speaking. It starts very simply. He's offering the kingdom, but it starts inside. And he said, and you believe, remember, this is the setting for the disciples he's talking to. You believe Jesus is the king. You believe he came from God. You believe he should be trusted and followed, right? And that's what you're doing. And he's standing in front of you. Think of how easy they had it in, in some certain ways, things we struggle with, right? For the disciples, was it ever hard to figure out where God wanted them that day? It's like, well, Jesus is in Capernaum, so we're in Capernaum. It's like, I know I'm in God's will today, following Jesus around. It was a, it was a thing that was kind of easy for them, I, I believe. Not everything, of course. But, but here they are. He's standing in front of you. Here's the king. So the fullness of the kingdom is right there as well? Mm, not so much, right? He's offering the kingdom, but he has more to add. He says to the disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Oh, this is confusing. But you're talking to us. Oh, we're not going to stop following you. Why would we long to be with you, right? It doesn't really make any sense. You've come to bring the kingdom. You say the kingdom is here. This doesn't really make sense, but Jesus has outlined for us a, a future time frame, and it, I'm sure it doesn't make complete sense to them, but, but it, it should to us, because we know a little more at this point, that there's a period of time where people who have embraced the internals of the kingdom long for more of it. They long for His presence. They long for one of the days of the Son of Man. And Jesus says, that will be what life is like. Now, longing, of course, I don't know, is that a good thing? Does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? I'm not sure. It's kind of maybe a little mix of both. But it's a big clue, I think, for us that the time in which we live is not perfect. Jesus didn't intend for everything to be fixed and solved and wrapped up nice and neat. That this would be a time frame where what, you, what was marked by the characteristic of His people longing for His presence, longing for the fulfillment of all of His kingdom because things aren't right. Things aren't complete. We want more. And Jesus said, that's what this time would be like. And that longing, I think that's a, a little bit of the strategy for living in, in our times, the times that Jesus said would, would come to those disciples. Next week, uh, Jesus goes on with a, another parable, and we'll look at that, how to live in this time frame before His return. He goes on, though, back to this week. Verse 23, people will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Don't go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. You see, there will be this period of longing, but it's interrupted. It's, it, it stops when he returns, right? 
And it'll be like lightning in the same way that lightning is in a fixed place at one moment, right? Yet it, it affects the entire sky. I was really hoping we'd have a thunderstorm last night, but we didn't, so... Lightning is in one place, but it impacts the entire sky. Jesus' return will be the same thing. It will be localized. He's returning to a fixed place. He has a physical body. We realize that. It was his resurrected body. He's in heaven. He's coming back to one spot, but the impact will be felt across the sky, across all of humanity, across the world. We'll see in a little bit. And you see, there's the second reason you won't be saying, well, there it is, because no one won't be looking. <laughs> All eyes on Jesus. So there's a good thing. You never have to worry about missing it. I don't know, sometimes I've heard Christians joking, you know, like, the room's empty. Like, did I miss, did I miss the rapture? I... There's no missing it. All eyes can't miss it. It impacts everything. So here we have a little more explanation. He's offering the kingdom, but a time is coming when we'll long for his presence. But that ends when he returns, and it's like lightning falling. Now, he hasn't left. We don't know why. And you notice when we're traveling, we tend to talk about uh, what we'll be doing while we're gone. Jesus sort of leaves that part out. We get a couple hints of it in John 14 but, but, uh, and Hebrews, but, but he focuses on his return and on his departure. Verse 25, he says, but first, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Again, as we will see in the, in the coming weeks, the, the disciples are struggling to understand all of his illusions and his, well, his flat-out predictions of the cross, and they're, they're having a hard time with it. We have the benefit of knowing exactly what he means here, that there would come a moment, a moment when he would go to the cross. And so we have uh, an explanation now, an understanding that while he continues to offer the kingdom, there was a moment in time where he suffered, and then a period of time where we long, he suffers, he dies, he res- he's resurrected, and he returns to heaven. Then a period of longing, and then he returns. We're kind of getting the, the backbone of God's plan now, right? But the king suffers, and in the remaining seven chapters, of Luke, which we'll cover, I don't know, I think it's a little less than a year left, but anyway, our time of study here at Gateway will be focused on the king's suffering. He has more to add, though. Verse 26, he says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So Jesus brings out two two Sunday school lessons out of the Old Testament. He brings back the flood, and he talks about Lot, who was living in Sodom and Gomorrah up until the day that those cities were judged and destroyed. What's really uh, fascinating to me is that uh, Jesus doesn't talk about their sinfulness. 
Now, the Bible does. We could go back to those stories and look about the, the judgment arrived because of the exceeding wickedness of those cultures and of those generations. And so, judgment was deserved, and of course, God has that right to bring judgment. But, but Jesus doesn't bring up that point. He talks about what the people were doing. Does, it, does any of it sound familiar? Does it sound sort of like our schedules, Right? Well, we got a little eating and drinking, a little buying and selling, planting and building, right? Being given in marriage. We've got some newlyweds right over here. How are you guys doing? Awesome. One week, one day. Awesome. Good. And, uh, and this is just life. You know what? What he mentions are the good blessings of God. These are good things that people get to enjoy and do. God gives these things as gifts, right, for us to enjoy in life. But what Jesus is pointing out is that these people are avoiding the problems. They're masking. They're medicating life. They're resisting Jesus' call to deal with the internals, the call to deal with the subject of righteousness and judgment. Who's going to fix that? See, Jesus doesn't have to go into the reason for the judgment because he's got a solution for it. He's offering the solution for it. It's like, but, but here's the problem while I continue to offer it. If, if people just ignore that and, and medicate themselves and distract themselves through the things that God gives and then just say, life's about my job and life's about eating and drinking and my life is just filled with these things rather than their blessings from God, they are my life, there's no hope. These are just distractions, things we avoid the deep questions and important things of life with. And so we see that Jesus is predicting that, yes, people will enter the kingdom, right? They'll trust Him, and by faith they'll enter the kingdom and and enjoy His righteousness and His goodness and peace and joy. But other people will will say, no, 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 no. I don't have a righteousness problem. I've got a problem with my business I got to work harder at my job. I got to throw a party this weekend and then I'll feel like I'm alive. And it just, we distract ourselves. There's a whole group of people distracting themselves from the problem in their life and from what God has said about it. And all of these things are happening at exactly the same time, right up to the day that He returns. Is that amazing? He goes on. On that day, no one who is on the housetop, see, on the day he returns, that's important. On the day he returns, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife, right? I used to be a little bit confused by this passage, like, what do we need to know what not, you know, not to get? Because personally, I don't go anywhere without my sweater. I don't like to be cold. I'd rather be a little bit hot, you know, so I'm like, I'm worried that Jesus shows up and I run to get my sweater, and he's like, all right, you're out. (laughs) See, I don't think he's telling us what we need to do when he returns. I think he's describing what people do when he returns, and that reveals something about us. It reveals the condition of our heart and the presence or the absence of faith and conviction about King Jesus. 
He goes on, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Jesus has used this call before. This is an altar call. Hey, if you would like to give over your life to me, you'll end up having the richness of life. If you try and hold on to life and and build it with little parties and, and, and little possessions and little hobbies, that's all you get, and in the end, you actually don't get anything at all. It's all gone. It's an altar call. Embrace the values of the, of the kingdom over the values of the world because a, a, a decisive event is coming. My return. And then finally, verse 34 through 37. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. One at night, one in the day, work day. This is, this is happening around the world at the same moment. Where, Lord... The disciples asked. He replied, Where there is a a dead body, there the vultures will gather. See, where where vultures come, you can just see, well, there it is. Jesus is saying, This kind of, of judgment won't happen in a place, it will happen to people of a certain condition, right? Everywhere there is spiritual deadness right? Judgment will come, just like vultures are attracted to a dead body. So, we have this, this description of His return, and we, we, we get this clarification that His return is not an evangelistic event. It's not a, a church service. There's no altar call. It's a moment in time which confirms the decisions that people have made and their attitudes and, and their faith and their trust of Him. Some people go back for their stuff because it's what they love. And some people, I don't know, he doesn't tell us what it is. I think we're actually free to respond, right? Some people will probably be weeping. Some people will be shouting. Some people will be singing. Some might fall down and praise. What will you do when Jesus returns? I don't know. I suspect it will be a good thing if it comes from a heart of faith and love for him. It's going to be the right thing. Because it's what we wait for. So you can't, you can't just uh, wait for the externals, you know. God, I want to see some golden streets, and then I'll decide. It's not God's plan. It's not what He offers. You know, I want to see perfect healing. I want to see peace on earth completed. I don't want to see this, this stuff in the news anymore. I want you to fix everything, and then I'll know you're God. It's not what God offers. Jesus came as king. And he offered himself to us. And only those who embrace what he offered, the internal aspects of of the kingdom, his own righteousness, peace, and joy, will enjoy the externals of the kingdom. So what period do we live in? Well, we live in a period where there is a longing for his presence. And that's what we need to remember. Not everything is perfect, and it's for a reason. It's for a reason. That's what God's up to. We're going to finish today celebrating the Lord's Supper, and so we're going to serve you now. And uh, so just take the the bread and the cup and hold on to that. i give you a chance to uh, pray, and we're also going to sing a song while we serve. And uh, so take that. But I want to to prepare us with uh, this last thought. You know, 
Jesus uh, celebrated a meal with his disciples. He had bread and he had a cup and he said, this now represents my body.